Hello, listeners. This is producer John. Open Pike Night is going to be at Trek Long Island 2024. From May 31st to June 2nd, Cameron and myself, producer John, will be in the Big Apple living long and prospering. We'll be hosting a panel. We'll be giving out stickers. We will have our microphones. Be sure to follow Open Pike on social media and subscribe to openpike.substack.com because we also will be giving away some Trek Long Island weekend passes. Trek Long Island is May 31st to June 2nd at the Hyatt Regency in Hopog, New York. this thing on hello hello welcome to open pike night i'm your host john t bulls here tonight with some amazing guests on stage and in the studio to discuss episode two of strange new worlds children of the comet we're here tonight to bring life to a conversation about Uhura and her doubts, Captain Pike and his certainty, fancy meals with co-workers, and how psyched the shepherds must have been to have something to do while following Mahani. And of course, we're glad to welcome our lineup of voices to the Open Pike Night stage. As always, we want to hear what you think about each new episode of Strange New Worlds as they drop. So when you watch the episode on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, if you have something you want to share on the Open Pike Night stage, please record an audio clip, 90 seconds or less, and send it to openpike at gmail.com by Sunday morning. You have three days to send us 90 seconds and take your place on the Open Pike Night stage. If you want a reminder, go to at Open Pike on Twitter and subscribe to a weekly newsletter there. The button is just below the bio. When you subscribe, check your junk mail or promotion folders. It seems like some of the newsletters are ending up there. Joining me today are my co-hosts, the man whose presence is blasphemy, but honestly, we don't care. Host of Sudden But Inevitable, Jesse. Come on, let's see if we can find some common ground here, Producer John. There's got to be something we can work out. And the man who's on a foretold path through Trek, bringing positive reviews to some and dick jokes to others, host of the Green Shirt Podcast, Cameron. Just for the record, I want to acknowledge that I am in my dress uniforms and everyone else here is adorned in halter tops, belly buttons on full display. And today we have a special guest, the man who knows the name of the kid he's saving from the lack of knowledge about movie classics because the kid is his son, Zoe from the Backlook Cinema Podcast. And for the record, I do not know when I'm going to die. And I think nobody should. We got a pretty full lineup tonight, and we've had some very last-minute submissions, but we managed to give them a slot on stage. First one in, we had our friend Joe from Funnest Frontier, who wrote in, Children of the Comet was as close to a perfect episode of Star Trek. Celia Gooding as Uhura is perfect. I love that it came down to her figuring out it was music that it responded to. After just two episodes, I'm comfortable saying that the casting for this show has been perfect, and I love everyone already. And that's Joe from Fundus Frontier Podcast at Dex Lower on Twitter and on TikTok. What'd you guys think about Uhura? Oh, she was fantastic. I mean, she's the love of my life all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember, you know, just from the trailers being like, ah, do we need legacy characters? But I mean, Uhura is a good one to kind of re-examine from a modern lens and... 
yeah, like I said last week, they are nailing her. I, I love everything they've done with her. Well, and they, they really seem to understand, right, like, we got to give this character something to do immediately because the original series took its sweet time uh, in, in doing so. But I, I have to say, totally agree with Joe in the casting department. And I believe that is an argument I have made already on the show. I don't think Star Trek has failed at a casting in recent memory personally Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree it's uh it seems like twitter a lot of people are responding to the fact that hey she got to do more in this one episode than like the whole first season of the original series they're using a legacy character well like you said cam next up on stage we have a returning friend this is rosie also known as rosalita the children of the comet episode was really really enjoyable for me as a person of faith, uh, their struggles were really interesting uh, in trying to understand how the actions of Spock were already in the plan of the the comet, what, whatever they know the comet as, a bringer of life, taker of life, um, creator. Uh, I just really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the fact that we focused a lot on Uhura. She is adorable, continues to be impressive. Her captain's dinner um, encounter was really nice, telling her story, singing her song. I really enjoyed the harmonic scene between her and Spock. That was just absolutely beautiful. And I really enjoy Spock uh, and all the various talks. First about getting sta- stepping away from Starfleet if it's not her calling and ending with if, it's, you, if you choose to, you would make an excellent Starfleet officer. Absolutely wonderful episode. Looking forward to more. And that was our friend Rosie at Rosalita9899 on Twitter. So does anybody have any strong thoughts about the faith aspect of this episode? Because Jesse, you want to start? Yeah, I can start there. I think that I actually think that's one of the most interesting facets to Captain Pike is that he is a Starfleet captain that has not only encountered faith before, but sort of grew up with faith. And we know that from his time in season two of Discovery that his his father was, uh, I think, a theology professor and would uh, argue about those kinds of things at the dinner table. And uh, Una has said along something along the lines of Captain Pike loves to have his opinion changed and you know he loves to hear your point of view and this, that, and the other thing. So to have a character immediately appeal to his respect for faith, I think is a great step to take with this character. They have this shepherd, and I have to point this out. Our friend Rosie first came to my podcasting life when I was on Sudden But Inevitable covering Firefly. Uh, She was actually in the movie Serenity, so she has been the shepherd of Sudden But Inevitable. That's sort of the title that we gave her, so I think it's really cool that she got to call in on an episode of Star Trek that has shepherds in it. But um, to have the shepherds basically immediately say, hey, you just said that you're reasonable. So maybe consider the fact that my faith is uh, well-placed and that you don't have this whole picture, right? It is a it is a beautiful confrontation, so to speak, for the captain to have this early in the series. And I really liked that scene. I don't think that when when they rarely addressed it, I don't think faith was really done well until Deep Space Nine. And that was a really specific kind of religious confrontation more than anything. This struck me as like maybe the most skillful representation of faith as just 
an aspect of a lot of people's lives. And belief in that faith, you know, did it lead to a shooting conflict pretty quickly? Yes. But did it also de-escalate that shooting conflict pretty quickly? Yes. And uh, I think it was just really skillfully done. And I don't have much of a faith-based upbringing. Uh, it was more forced on me than anything and decided for me. And as soon as I could make the decision not to, I did. But um, I just really enjoyed the way they handled it. Well, I think for me, the thing that I enjoyed the most about it, to your specific point, John, is that there are multiple instances of faith in this episode that don't necessarily have to do with a spiritual faith, right? Spock is saying, hey, look, we have faith in you. You you passed all the tests. You're here because you're supposed to be, right? Like, just trust yourself. Trust your own process because we do. And it's, you know, Pike telling Una, like, trust me, I have faith that what I have seen is true. I can't tell you how I know it's true. I just, I know that it's true and I'm going to make it happen and it's okay. I'm I'm working on dealing with it, but it, but it's okay, you know? So I think that you are right when you say that this is the best handling of the concept of faith in Star Trek probably ever because it doesn't pigeonhole the concept, I think. It gives it more breadth so that, because you could argue that religious faith is like in direct contrast to most of the ideals that Star Trek usually portrays, right? So I like them illustrating that it isn't and that it's actually part of the ideals that Star Trek portrays. And Sam Kirk illustrates how sometimes having faith in your actions can backfire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost. So. I saw that and I was like, well, he can't die now. This is, no, I don't, I refuse to accept that he dies right now. And I was I hope they that kill him. I hope they kill him in every episode. That would be amazing. <laughs> you, you and the entire internet. Yeah. yeah. Seems that, like, that's yeah. not an original thought, but it's an amazing thought. Like, they need to do it. I hope they call him Kirky. I'd be okay with it. <laughs> um, I, now, I did think it was funny because we all assumed in the trailers that that was Pike. And we were like, mm. come on, we thought Pike was smarter than that. And it turns out we were right. Pike is smarter <laughs> than that. That's a Kirk. <laughs> Zoe, what did you think? Oh, well, to piggyback on what Jesse's saying about... Uh, what uh, Spock having faith in Ahura, uh, not only because he believes in her, but really she was the only one who could resolve the situation because nobody else could do it. And this is the second time that I've seen in Star Trek that Spock has relied on Ahura to do what she's expert at because nobody else could do it. So the first time was in a TOS episode where uh, the communication system was down. And so Ahura was the only one to could repair that equipment in order for them to get up and running again. And it w that's when Spock said to her, because he was like trying to rush her. Like, basically, he was like, hurry up and get it done. And she was telling him that she was doing her best, right? She was, uh, you know, because everything was smashed. And he said that he could think of no one on the Enterprise that could do it better. So he basically just let her be. So um, it, it was a great moment for the 60s. Right, right. And so uh, for the time period. Appearing. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was glad to see that kind of come back and, and it kind of echoed uh, basically Ahura's abilities and uh, her, um, her, her competence. And uh, the other thing about Faith, I felt like uh, even though you said that uh, Pike was respecting of their religion, he, he was definitely struggling with it, right? He, he had to make some <laughs> mental adjustments. Yeah. And then the other thing was that uh, he... Uh, I think the people, I forgot the shepherds, that's what they called themselves. So the shepherds at the same time believed that everybody 
believes in this faith or they should believe in this faith. They're not exactly religious zealot, but when they approach other species, as far as they're concerned, all the other species need to adhere to their religion and, and they're not, uh, they're, they're not necessarily respective of their, uh, of anybody else's belief system, but their own. Um, but they are well, very, we were here first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Well, speaking of, like I love the line, you know, he says something about like we don't even know why we do this anymore. Right, and just right. from like a writing standpoint, you're yeah. like, oh, well, there it is. That's going to come back later right. on, and, and and it doesn't. And in a good, I think that's like, oh, but it, it handled it well. It just it was a little bit of a red herring, um, but also applied to faith very directly. Cameron, right. I actually think that this is a deeply planted seed of serialization in space let me just phrase it that way <laughs> a, a space seed so to uh, speak. I, I, that, you could <laughs> phrase it that way if you preferred <laughs> all right well next up on stage we have a couple more guests first up is josh at josh alder on twitter well i'm really enjoying this series so far i've been a long time uh Trek fan and uh, the original series was always my favorite and I think going back to the Pike era is just really interesting uh, because we know what happens to Pike we know how he ends up but we don't know how he got there because we've seen so little of him and I'm really enjoying uh, seeing Uhura um, as a cadet and I think that um, you know kind of showcasing her as somebody who you know, didn't want to be in Star Starfleet and uh, is, is learning what her role is there is really fascinating because we know through the entire series and the movies that Uhura becomes one of the legends of, of Starfleet. And there's so many times when she saves the Enterprise's crew um, because of her very specific skill set. I also really like how um, nimble the Enterprise is in this episode. Like, it's like... We have never seen the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, just so uh, able to um, navigate through uh, space so so cleanly and um, so at, with with such agility, and I, I'm just really enjoying it. This show, two episodes in, I'm I'm already just a, a huge fan, and I cannot wait to see where it goes from here. Hey, Open Pike Night. I loved episode two of Strange New Worlds. I am a huge Uhura fan. So I love what Nichelle Nichols did with the very little that she had. And Celia Rose Gooding is doing a fantastic job picking up the torch. This was a wonderful episode that incorporated her singing, her relationship with Spock, which we touch on in TOS and I wish was uh, de delved into a little more. I do love their friendship and that kind of mentor-mentee relationship that they have. Um, that carries on in TOS. So nice to see its beginnings here. I also really enjoy that this reminds me of TOS with none of the misogyny. So uh, as I said on Twitter, so there's that as well. Um, to bring Beverly Crusher into it, as you have challenged me to do, because you know that the good doctor is one of my favorite Trek characters, uh, Gates McFadden tweeted about how much she loved the first two episodes, and Anson Mount replied on Twitter. So that was pretty awesome. I do think that Beverly Crusher would love Captain Pike because he doesn't care about the Prime Directive, as we saw in this episode, where he's like, we're moving that asteroid. I don't care if we're interfering. Um, and also, you know, on a sad note, like Ahura lost both her parents and uh, so did Beverly. So just a little Beverly Crusher connection there for the week. And I'm really enjoying the show. 
And can't wait till next week. Live long and prosper. Our good friend Michelle returning to the Open Pike Night stage again at OnTheRock81 on Twitter. Some very good points. The Beverly Connection is now going to be my new favorite segment for our show. The the Beverly Connection is is a fun little bit. Um, I know I said last time how much in the opening credits I enjoyed seeing the Enterprise at rest, but holy crap, I love oh. seeing the Enterprise move in this episode. Um, I, Should we set it, a time limit for this? Because this could be the whole episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let me. Uh, I'll take turns. <laughs> let me speak on that. Um, it's it's different. It's different from like most other depictions, especially in the original series, because like Star Wars, when they talk about evasive maneuvers, they will they go slightly to the left, and that's as, as evasive as they get. And uh, and this episode is the first time that we really see it move because it's in space. There's a lot of room in space. It's tiny compared to the other ship. So relative to the other ship, it's it's really moving about. And uh, and we just watched uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. And even then, it's like kind of like slow move because they're treated as Navy vessels, like moving through mm-hmm. volumes of water and not like a nimble spaceship in flight. So that, that was really refreshing. I really enjoyed that. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, when people play uh, uh, Star Trek online and how they fly their ships in an online environment. It, it kind of looked like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not only the nimbleness, which, which I did love, which I think we get a, quite a bit of in the Kelvin verse movies, but like the uniqueness here was the way it moved. Like it moved in this herky jerky fashion that almost kind of looks stop motiony. And so at first I was like, oh, are they just trying to call back to maybe the model era? But I think that's actually more realistic of how a giant ship would move. In. <laughs> There's a there there are children appearing behind there's, Cameron oh, there's right two. now. There's two. Not of the comet. They're just regular human children. These are not comet children. They beamed right in. Bowser. You found Bowser? Oh my goodness. All right. For anybody listening, this is very adorable. We're not mad at Cameron at all. Yeah. When you're available, we really need your help right away. Okay. He is like killing a tree. Oh my goodness. Times. There's like fire. Bowser's always the hardest. Yes. Okay. Okay. Way harder. <laughs> Way harder. Bowser's harder than a trooper. Okay. Can you close my door, please? Bowser, harder than a trooper. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think that's more realistic of how a large spaceship would move in space because it has to like, you know, it's it's sudden thrusts to the left and right. And that's that I, 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 it was very cool. I liked it. I liked how it and it also kind of it added a little bit of danger. It felt more like someone was behind a, a, a joystick, a cockpit. A, I don't know what how they they're their screens but i mean it felt like someone was actually piloting it as opposed to like just setting some coordinates and let it go off by itself couple things there first of all every evasive pattern that is not evasive pattern ortegas gamma one can go to hell forever because that is the best evasive pattern that has ever existed i'd like to point out that if you were to shorten that it would be evasive pattern og one which is like just that is That's really the, cool. Well, to that point, do we think that was the exact evasive pattern they used in uh, Star Trek 2009 when they did the barrel roll? Well, I think that was more of a... Kirk they were both the barrel roll. ...to spin. But, well, this was this was a barrel roll combined with a... Uh, I don't know what it's like, a half loop, right? Where the Enterprise yeah. flipped over backwards into a barrel roll. 
and then used that to swing past. God, it was beautiful. So they did a half Ortega in 2009. Yes, it was it was uh, 0.5 OG. Okay. Um, Do you guys remember the first time that you saw the Lord of the Rings, the two towers in theaters and it started with a flashback to Gandalf in Moria about to fall. And then you realize, oh, this shot is lasting longer than it did in Fellowship. And now it's following Gandalf. And oh, shit, he's pulling out his sword. And he didn't fall. He jumped. And he is chasing this demon from the very world itself to save his companions. And I'm tearing up just talking about it right now. That is the feeling that I get every time the Enterprise is shown and the camera just stays with it instead of cutting away as soon as something needs to happen. This episode cemented Strange New Worlds in my heart as the Gandalf harassing a Balrog through the center of the <laughs> damn planet of Star Trek. And it shows me it shows me things that I have never seen from a Star Trek. And and for that reason, this is possibly my favorite episode of star trek in the last like 10 years somebody else talk please i have always said that star (laughs) trek battles got better than star wars space battles as soon as deep space nine came around and the dominion war um this this sequence to me really reminded me of two things one since we're going to be talking about some classic games uh the video game descent i used to play i don't know if anybody else played that but that was a fully three-dimensional flying get like i was like oh i'm getting huge descent vibes off this and also uh the first kingsman the secret service movie where they they kept the camera centered during action scenes on the main character and everything else was moving around them and i definitely got some vibes of that following the enterprise and watching space move around it also as it was doing the the evasive maneuvers and i appreciated both yeah, also, they kind of stayed away from the trope of exploding panels and throwing rocks on the set and yeah. <laughs> to simulate <laughs> damage. They didn't yeah, do they that. Glitched. They glitch now. I love that. Yeah, yep. They yep. they didn't do that this episode. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we'll see it, though. <laughs> we, did, we did get some very conveniently placed columns of steam, but yeah, I am yes. not right. complaining about yeah, that personally. Yeah. Right. I love those. All right, who wants to take the first Uhura-Spot connection reminiscence? Because we're going to have a lot of that in this episode. Well, so uh, I I don't want to say that like she's sweet on Spock or whatever, but she was definitely looking at him. She definitely noticed Nurse, uh, Nurse Chapel kind of uh, hitting on Spock. Right, she noticed that, and I think that a woman, uh, who is attracted to Spot, might notice that there was a little bit of attraction in the original series, and then, um, and in Star Trek the movie, they they just go all out. They're just like they're fully engaged with each other. But <laughs> I, I, you kind of, so you kind of see the spark of that in this episode, the way Ohura looks at Spock and the things that she notices about him. All right, let's hear from our next guest on stage. Hello, folks. Agent Scott here from the Spy Hards podcast. Just wanted to firstly thank you once again for letting me boldly go onto the Open Pike show last week to talk about the premiere episode of Strange New Worlds. But I wanted to talk about this week's episode, Children of the Comet. So I opened my hailing frequencies to send you my thoughts. I thought this was a wonderful episode and a very good follow-up to what I think is a very successful launch to the show this one felt very much akin to a classic episode of star trek you know miscommunication leads to a problem but our team will rally together to overcome pretty much a a classic setup for many episodes of the original series and i think this works perfectly with this new crew i think uh yeah 
I wouldn't say an instant classic. There were some bits I would point out, but uh, yeah, overall, I had a, a really good time. So I think it actually might be a better episode than the first. Plus, of course, we got the beginning of the classic Spock and Uhura banter that we saw in the original series, and I loved seeing the Enterprise flying around in space. But I wanted to leave you all with a question. As it seems the show is making each episode about a character, Pike in the first, I think this is clearly an Uhura episode, which character are you most looking forward to exploring in this season? Take care, guys, and as always, I'll see you among the shadows. Agent Scott breaking the uh, protocol of silence and uh, <laughs> bringing us some thoughts from the Spy Hard podcast at Spy Hards on Twitter and guest host of last week's episode of Open Pike Night. Which characters are you guys looking forward to the most, Cam? Oh, that's that's hard. I mean, uh, what we've learned about Ahura and the way it connects to, again, her legacy, uh, the weight of that in our minds has been really great. La'an is definitely the one I'm kind of most interested in because it seems like she's going to have the most uh meaty backstory perhaps but i think the person i just kind of want to see more of is nurse chapel uh she continues to delight me in this episode uh just kind of her like bubbly abrasiveness with the crew is uh super fun to watch i don't know how much backstory how much more there is to learn about her but i imagine in a show like this there there is something so i'm looking forward to that all right jesse how about you so to the point of the connection between spock and uhura i think I think it's easy to read both of these characters. Spock, maybe not as directly because Spock is, you know, the other in the room sort of a thing because he's half human. He's not full human. But I think it is easy to read Uhura's character specifically as neurodivergent. And she's, you know, oversharing when she shouldn't be. She's giving too much personal information at a time that's not appropriate because she's just excited to be there and a little bit nervous because she's also like, should I be here? There's other people that really want to be here. And... Spock is able to be like, whoa, look at yourself from the outside. Calm down and chill a little bit, okay? Like, you have talent. Just relax. You don't have to give every detail all the time. Just breathe. And then she actually provides the same thing for him, but in reverse. She's like, oh, so you were getting flirted with. And he's like, what? When? So it's like everybody, anybody who has ever felt mentally different from most folks, right? knows the value in finding a friend that gets you. So I think that that is a beautiful piece of this relationship, and I I hope that it stays that way and doesn't become what it was in the 09 movie. Now, I don't fault the 09 movie for that. I think it needed something, and I'm fine with it. But I think in this series, I hope that they just stay as like those, those close friends uh, personally. Now, I agree that I think La'an might be the most interesting character because... I just, you know, as I was watching back through this, you guys, I I started asking myself, where is La'an? I, like, she is definitely Ga'an for too long, And I think that <laughs> she may have put in a call to the shepherds because she's like, hey, I'm going to go check the perimeter, right? Mm. And then she's just gone for like a big chunk of this episode. And then the shepherds show up and they're like, where did these guys come from? So... Does that kind of make it possible that she's a temporal agent because this comet seems to have foreknowledge of the future and she's like giving all these suggestions like, hey, let's not destroy them. Let's regroup. Like if we watch it through the lens of is La'an a <gasps> spy, then I think it opens up a lot of possibilities for her character. And this is the seed that I had spoken of earlier, Cam, because like 
how, what a what better way to get at the Spock and Kirk lineage, right, than to use a con descendant or whatever it is that she is, but like with time stuff involved. I don't know. It's a thing that just happened to pop into my head right before we started recording. Um, but I 100% agree. Give me more Chapel. I want Chapel to interact with everyone. I don't care what they're doing. I just want Chapel to be involved. Jesse is single handedly supporting the red string industry. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to do it. Zoe, which character are you looking most forward to? What do you think they make those shirts out of, Cameron? Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Go ahead, Zoe. <laughs> so yeah, so Nurse Chapel actually was my uh, second choice. Um, it'd be interesting to see because her personality in this series is quite different than the original series. It makes me think that sometime between in the past, like when she's new on Enterprise, and later on when Kirk is in command, she experienced some serious trauma that kind of dampened down her aggressive and public personality as we see on this show. So it's, it, it would be definitely interesting to learn about that. But the one I want to see the most is uh, number one, because firstly, uh, she's a legacy character, but from before Kirk became captain of the Enterprise, and and he is probably uh, Christopher Pike's oldest comrade. Second is, uh, <laughs> I just found out that her name was Una, like not just now on this podcast, but like, I was just flipping through the internet. I was doing research on another project, and it was showing ads for Star Trek. And it said Una. And I was like, oh, who the hell is Una? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> then I was Una, like, Una. Yeah, and then I realized, oh, my God. It's like Una is like the feminine for the male Uno. I was like, that's why he calls her number one. It's not just because she is his first officer. It's also because that's her name. Oh my God, my name, <laughs> my brain is going to explode with this knowledge. It's like, it's one of the original <laughs> characters that we, lo- that we know least about that has appeared on a previous uh, version of Star Trek. So, and uh, as we see her character developing, I can't wait to see what more we have in, uh, we have in store. Did you guys see that this Trek shorts that featured her and Spock? So that I kind of does tell in this episode because they can both sing, but she doesn't really want people to know about it. And the other thing was that so and that kind of dovetails into when Nikokura was singing to the egg when they figured out that the language was music and she started singing and she says, that, well, I need you to back me up. I need you to harmonize and I need you to match me and only Spock it because I was wondering, is Spock going to sing again? Is he going to do it? And he does it. I was like, yes. Yes, Fox sings, and that was great. And uh, also, it was incredible. So yeah, I am. I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing. I want. What is Una's last name? I want to know. Don't tell me now. I'll. I'll find out in the episodes. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. So, running through my mind. What? It, what is running? What? What is her last name right now? I only know her name is Una. Is 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 that a mononym? Let's. I, I need to know more about that character. <laughs> Well, you may find that out next week, Zoe, because next week's episode, Ghosts of Illyria, is actually specifically about Una, and she's going to need to help save the crew from some kind of space madness. <laughs> ah, yes. Gotta love good space madness. So to that point, and to Agent Scott's point, uh, yeah, it, it does definitely seem like each episode is going to be about a different crew member and, you know, and how... I mean, this in this episode, it was definitely Spock who had the biggest uh, impact on Ahura. I, I feel like last week's it was about Pike, yes, but it was about uh, La'an, that we got a lot of La'an backstory, and she was convinced to stay on the Enterprise. And that made me kind of wonder, like, yeah, is every episode going to be like that? And is it basically, is it going to be a Mr. Holland's opus thing? Is it going to be a Captain Pike's opus, where at the end, yes, he, he suffers his fate, we all know he's going to suffer, but then, like, he is reminded of, like, all the lives he impacted along the way. 
he that that he shepherded through uh through their Starfleet careers. And they all hold a huge concert for him at the end. Sitting exactly. there in his sitting there in his little life support chair. They sing the comet song. The yeah, comet exactly. comes and there sings for them. <laughs> Somebody writes a part for him at the end where he just does a beep. <laughs> beep. Yeah. Um so <laughs> If we get 10 seasons of this show and then they sort of like subvert expectations by having him get injured and end up in that chair anyway, I would be okay with that if if they spend 10 full years giving me this crew. And oh. I think we would be remiss not to say like, I need to know more about Ortegas because she, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's hard to mention all of the characters in enough time. I had a, I had a ton of fun with Hemmer as well in this episode. And you guys- that very cool uh, carrot over the back trick. I reversed that footage. That's just him throwing Spock a carrot and they played oh, nice. it backwards. Yeah. Nice. I love those. Thanks for ruining the magic, Jesse. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing Umbanga's episode because I don't think it's going to be Una who convinces Pike to not give in to what he perceives as his fate. I think it's going to be Mbenga who finally gets through to him. Uh, also, not in this episode at all for some reason. It was Chapel who runs in to get Kirk and uh, yeah, I was a little I was a little surprised not to see him at dinner or anywhere. Well, I was telling Jesse that I was surprised uh, Kirk doesn't get a beat at the end and I was wondering if that was a deleted scene that would also maybe have featured Mbenga. Yeah, let's spend some time in the egg chamber. Jesse, I'm going to disagree with you because Laan was not off nowhere. She was busy being a total dick to Uhura this entire episode, like it, I was like, what crawled up your butt and why are you so mean to her? I have that answer. Oh, yeah. But okay, do you have more? Nope. That's that's where uh, I want to start. So. That is an amazing segue, because what I wanted to bring up, which Scott kind of mentioned also is, you know, let, let's talk about like how this episode fits in with last episode, too. Um, for one, I I love that we finally got. Because I kind of mentioned this to you guys last time. The first episode, as much as I enjoyed it and as much as I enjoyed like the classic feel like, oh, we're at a very Earth-like planet, it wasn't really a strange new world. We had familiar new worlds last episode for the pilot episode of Strange New Worlds. This episode, we got strange and new in abundance. We got like a weird world down here with the desert people. We got the comet people. We got the shepherds. It's amazing. Love it all. Also... It really plays so nicely from the first episode, because if you didn't see the first episode, yeah, all that stuff in the egg chamber would have been fine. It would have been, it would have been fine. But knowing what we know about La'an, knowing that she is a survivor, that she is a scrapper, that she does anything to get out of a situation, and here she is having to rely on someone, on a cadet that she doesn't know, that she doesn't trust. She has no power in the situation, no control, and that uh, that discomfort is all over her face. And it's just a couple shots. Like They could have been more on the nose with it, and I'm glad they didn't. It's just a couple of reaction shots where you're like... This is not good for her. Laon is not happy about the situation. No, she's at all. not. No. Uh, and here's the thing: she could have helped. It's when Uhura asked for her to sing. She said, "Oh no, I can't do it. I'm too monster for that." <laughs> <laughs> well, again, she know like she has no skill set that will help them in this situation, I know how to and shoot that guns. is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, give me an alien to shoot, and I will help us in the situation. But not- and she's not afraid to admit that. And. And another point there is that she is sort of operating on the opposite assumption that most main characters do in a show, which is that I could die at any moment. Like, that's Mm -hmm. her stated, like, modus operandi, correct? Mm -hmm. So beyond that, though, she is actually set up to be the 
example of how a Starfleet officer should be, right? Because Uhura's like, oh, do I belong? Is this the right place for me? Like, ow, getting a hypo spray hurts. And like, people are flirting and this makes me feel weird. And like, <laughs> did I wear the right uniform? And Laon's like, just take the shot and let's go. Whenever you guys are done crying about how much it hurts, I'm let's do the job that we're here to do. <laughs> Love okay? it. Yeah, the use so, of Uhura this time as the audience surrogate is less, they didn't do it the same way they did with Pike last time. This time it was, okay, you're the person who's in this situation and you're like, I'm the only sane one here. These two over here are flirting. I'm on a freaking comet. There's an egg chamber in front of me. I'm the only one freaking out. And that makes <laughs> sense because this bimbo next to me, he just got shocked and launched halfway across the room. This is this, <laughs> this is our dumb friend, Sam, trying to help me out and get me to talk to this thing. <laughs> just got himself killed for a minute. I kind of love Sam, too. Yeah. Like He was kind of being the most supportive for her. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, he immediately gets taken out of the picture. And she's stuck with like the emotionally distant Vulcan who's trying to pep talk her and La'an who has no wants nothing to do with her yeah and and at first i was like oh wow this this sam and and uh uhura dialogue feels really forced i'm like no that's how you do it when you're trying to bring somebody into a situation like yeah Mm -hmm. sometimes it comes off as really forced okay so there i am not the first person to view the enterprise as the best department to work in at the greatest company ever right (laughs) and it, it goes here that her that uhura's co-workers are like dude, you got hired. (laughs) Relax. Like you can do the job. Relax. That's why we have you here. And it, it just, to your point of the shifting audience avatar, right? It really, everybody has been in that situation where in their head, they're like, I know I have the skills and the ability to do this, but if I could just borrow some confidence from somebody who has done it and I have watched do it, that would be great. Right. And so Sam in particular is a xenoanthropologist, right? So he's like, Hey, it's languages. You do languages, remember? Like it's just another pattern. Look at the yes, pick up the you you're right there. <laughs> it's almost like he went the right thing to do here is to get myself killed and let her succeed. <laughs> like he he's the ultimate mentor. Like <laughs> yeah, he, he, at the same time he kind of reminds me of the first officer of the Ceratos on Lower Decks. <laughs> he does, yep. it's like a strong resemblance even looks like him a little bit yeah mm-hmm. and uh also i think maybe he was just a little distracted because he's like man that was some great flirting between me and pike in the ready room there talking about the mustache <laughs> and nobody nobody in any of our audio clips sent in anything about like wow Okay. That uh, that moment of flirting was just as obvious as Chapel was spot. <laughs> well, I like I love that because Pike does that a couple times. Where like when he's in when he's debating like a big uh, decision, a big question when he's captaining. Yep. You know he has these weird asides that you might like that Agent Scott might call quippy, but I think they're like just kind of the way he kind of distracts himself while he's processing big information is to kind of just like. Oh, you know what, Spike? She has a Spike. You know what, Spock? She has a point. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's the, how's that mustache hanging? Like, yeah. Just it, it seems like a fun little uh, quirky Pike. He knows. Uh, he knows take. how to humanize himself. Like, I need to be in charge, but I need everybody to be loose and thinking on their feet. And like, mm-hmm. hey, yes, this is a tense situation, but like, apply your regular process to it. Just trust yeah. yourselves. Like, we can do it. And I don't know how many conference meetings you guys have sat in in your lives and careers. I've sat in a lot safety meetings every morning at work. I mean, and then meetings throughout the day. Yeah, that's that's not unlike how it goes. Like, yeah, it'll just be talking. And then it's like, a, you know, fun little aside comment, break the eyes, you know, release tension. Just just 
you spend so much you're trapped in this submarine with these people and uh yeah you you get to know them very well mm-hmm. um happy 297th anniversary to the game yahtzee congratulations for surviving <laughs> the uh third world war and the eugenics wars well 600,000 species of plants and animals did not um just hats off to you we had our you priorities sorted okay <laughs> my favorite part was how uh, spock is like i'm familiar with yahtzee and now i'm just picturing spock and michael playing yahtzee as kids and now i'm thinking about that scene in discovery 2 where they have the argument over three-dimensional chess how amazing would it have been if that had been over yahtzee instead? <laughs> <laughs> and i mean somebody is going to start an online rpg group where you're playing enterprise characters playing Yahtzee and that's <laughs> yeah. all you do in the RPG. Oh, and let's not forget um, about his mother, Amanda. I, I imagine that all three oh, of them would probably oh, be playing together. Oh yeah. <laughs> she was a big Yahtzee head. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and uh, I would also like to say that I, I feel, I feel where Mahanit is coming from. I too played mist a lot as a kid. So I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to set my whole self up where you have to play the right musical notes to open up the egg. And then the different <laughs> musical notes to drop the shields. I'm like, I've played, I know this game. I've seen this game. <laughs> like good, good for you, Mahani. But I do love this episode a lot. And I, I think I enjoyed episode one more just because there's more stuff. There's Spock and uh, Dupreeing and, and and Pike on in his cabin. But I think this is the better structured episode. I still think like both episodes kind of had cracks in the third act. And like for here, it started with, yeah, what? Like Uhura's like, oh, let me take this. And she drops the shields. I'm like, what is she doing? She, we've just learned that this thing speaks in music and now she can give it commands. Like, what did she do? It never explains what exactly she did. I mean, I think that's supposed to be a the, you know, she's called a prodigy. And she's she talks about I learn languages fast. I learn languages because I need to. And then they just show her doing it. And and, and so to the point of she uh, literally just spoke to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and okay. one of our uh, commenters, we didn't get a chance to call in. But Jesse, what did our friend write? So our friend Tammy Matthews on Twitter at Geek Girl Den said, fantastic. I love this episode. Uhura reminded me of Ensign Sato from Enterprise. Loved that music was the solution. Nice tie-in writing-wise with the Enar's precognition comments during dinner. Great acting by everyone. Five stars. Art direction is reminiscent of the original series while seeming new. I love this show. So that sounds like you in your comment on our last episode. Yeah, and speaking of art direction, that opening shot with the aliens and... uh. I would just say that the producers came to play. I mean, that that the costumes that the aliens wore, that that the alien makeup, it was all just fantastic. They were all living in structures that looked like TPs. It was just as like I was blown away. I was like, oh wow, they went all out. It's not just bumps in the forehead anymore. They really yeah. and and skin and, tight suits. It was and the the suits that were the the robes that they wore were all intricately designed. They just weren't like plain colored. It was just amazing. Yeah, and they looked practical for a desert planet. Like, yes, you're wearing a lot of layers to keep the the sun off, but the layers are kept off of them so they can actually get ventilation through there. I I was very impressed Mm. with those costumes. We're just going to overlook the fact that suddenly introducing a whole lot of water to <laughs> oh my God. A, an alien species that has adapted for the desert. I mean, it, it the makes sense because those aliens are going to have. Yeah, the xenobiologist <laughs> was unconscious, so he wasn't there to tell them that this is not a good thing. <laughs> those right. poor and, yeah, Persephonids. 
<laughs> are right in the middle of making dust butter when it starts to rain for what appears to be maybe the first time ever. And I'm dust thinking, butter. well, I'm pretty sure it's not the first time ever because they were celebrating the rain, so they know what it is and they like water. Oh. But how much rain are they going to get? Like a little They're bit of rain. Die. It's fine, yeah. But a comet full of rain—it's—it's questionable. I'm like, I'm seeing a lot of people drowning to death. It's not—they're not going to drown to death because they are the children of the comet. They are going to—that is, they—they just started a new faith, and I think Mm. that is the last part of the the faith Mm. in this episode. Is that is the kind of thing a comet appeared in the sky, the water started to fall, the plants started to grow. That is the foundation of a religion. Right I there. did not pick up on that. Good job, John. Good. There yeah. are so many instances of children being touched by the comet in this. That was weird phrasing. Uh, <laughs> where did the comet touch you? Show Maybe me. more than one <clears throat> group of children could be considered the children of the comet in this yes. episode. But yeah. yes, I, I love that particular interpretation. And I think that's actually probably the main one, right? Maybe the second one being the shepherds, which are like we just do whatever we do because we were told and maybe that third group is now the enterprise crew because i i gotta say is there a chance now that pike starts chasing these harbinger comets across the sector like moby dick no we don't need another red angel situation but but (laughs) but to that point we know that somebody created these things and preordained some stuff right i think it it's possible it makes it possible that Laan is a temporal agent or that there's some kind of time travel <laughs> manipulation, temporal actually, war stuff going on here. I, I'm actually glad that there are some unanswered questions at the end of this episode. They still ask mm-hmm. who built the comet, like where did it come from? Nobody knows. The shepherds don't know. They're just doing what they've been doing for thousands of years. So, yeah, I, I am glad that there are some things that we don't know. And I don't feel like we need to know. But I do think that because the comet seems to be cognizant maybe it has something to do with time travel to jesse's point mm-hmm. it's like there there were people from the future and there were things that needed to happen so one of the tools that they use were comics that they scattered throughout the universe to yeah. make these things happen conveniently enough right after a alien engineer with precognitive abilities shows yeah. up that like yes this is a thing that exists <laughs> i loved that that comment that's exactly what i picked up on this episode it's something that like obviously all tv shows try to do and i feel like star trek especially has always tried to do is layer their themes together in an episode and you know they don't always successfully succeed <laughs> at it as you know yeah you know we've discovered going through tng one episode at a time but when they do it's amazing and i feel they nailed it in this episode because yeah not only does like himmer's little introduction that doesn't seem to apply to the rest of the episode set up the idea of precognitive uh site uh which applies directly to the comet which then in universe you know they apply to pike's predicament but what i love is that it also applies to ahura because the audience we are kind of like mahanet here we know ahura's fate we know that she has a fate that her her arc has a final outcome well maybe we don't know the final outcome but we we know the long bend of of her arc uh she does not no one on the show thinks that her fate is written in stone we the audience are the only ones who see that so it's so fascinating like watching her at these crossroads knowing where they'll lead like the comet knows i i just think there's something there that kind of tied in with everything else that the episode smartly did not like hammer two on the nose it just let us figure out i mean you could even apply the same to to sam kirk whose eventual fate is foreshadowed in this episode and the trajectory of uhura 
is altered in this episode and she be, you know, gets more locked into being Starfleet. The trajectory mm-hmm. of the comet is altered and saves the planet and brings life instead of ending life. And Pike doesn't believe that the trajectory of his fate can be changed. And mm-hmm. so it's it. Yeah. Like you said, they layered the themes expertly in yeah. the writing of this in episode. In that sense, very well written episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think the final subtle layer there actually is choice, right? Because choice is required for faith and belief in fate or to not believe in that or to, you know, believe I am in control of what I'm doing. And Una is begging Pike to just choose to interpret what he has seen in another way. She's not Mm -hmm. saying, hey, what you saw was invalid or wrong or you shouldn't think that. She's just saying, maybe there's more than one way to to look at it, which is, you know, a a conversation that if you don't trust the person you're having that conversation with could get ugly quickly. Right. So I think it the choice aspect of faith and and how that applies was very subtly and well woven into this story as well. Yeah. And then the point about um, Ahura being uh, Soto. Sato. Sato. I'm I'm still new to Enterprise. But I mean, yeah, because I had kind of pointed out the Geordi connection just in the, you know, the eagerness, the, uh, oh, cool aspect. But here we we do get that nervousness that we get in uh, Sato, uh, which I love. That shot of Ahura, like, uh, just down the hallway, hesitant to step into the transporter room. I loved that shot. It just spoke so much to her character, her, like, uh, her, her, like, sudden fear when she's being transported like which then turned into like you know giddy ecstasy when she realizes it worked and she's on a comet like it was all so good that might be one of my favorite shots in the series to Mm -hmm. this point Mm -hmm. of her hyperventilating as the transporter goes off because like this is a thing that we have all seen no exaggeration ten thousand times on a screen (laughs) right this is the most routine star trek thing you can do is beam down to a location even though there's a malfunction, you know, every yeah. 10 episodes. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say. That, that's how we discover the mirror universe. Right. Her fears are not invalid. Right? She, she, yeah. <laughs> right. she gives us how we would feel the first time we got beamed anywhere, let alone Absolutely. the surface of a frigging comet. Right? Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't think the beaming itself was something that she was afraid of. It's where she was going, oh, we're going to be on an away team. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a surface of a comet, which might or might not put its shields up on the way to the comet. And then they had this Yeah, I'm relying shot. on this mean blonde lady to have injected me with something that's <laughs> right. going to protect me from solar radiation. Like Right. And then there's a shot of the tracking through space, which they've never done before. And I imagine that is the, the feeling of the transporter going through space and then being mm. on the surface of the comet. I was like, oh, this is... This is great. Mm-hmm. This is like 2001 light, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are beats that like classic Trek rarely gave us. And I'm so excited that we're seeing these like the cadets like dealing with these routine things we've seen 10,000 times. But of course, the first couple times, not going to be routine. I mean, that's what I liked about Enterprise, like is that it, it dealt with that. Like the first time a lot yeah. of these things were done. It's like, no, no, I'll take a shuttle. No, I'm good. Yeah. That first time you have to strip down and get in that decontamination chamber. Like, yeah, what? right. It was like, uh, it's safe for humans. Yeah, yeah, you you do it then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah there's a lot of things that are safe for humans. But... All right. Uh, our next entry on stage was another written in entry from Julene of the It Goes Down in the PM podcast. It seems like fate versus free will is going to be a recurring theme for this season. I think Laon is mad sus. She just gives lying vibes. 
I loved that music was the comet's language. This episode was just so interesting and gave the viewer a lot to think about. I like the integration of philosophical problems like Pike knowing how he dies. It kind of puts him in a trolley problem, one versus many. Does he try to cheat death and fate? to save himself, or does he die and save the kids? The idea of the comet knowing that it would need Spock to give life, but the crew not knowing what was going to happen was very Schrodinger's cat. The comet was deadly and not deadly, like the cat is both alive and dead until the box is opened. And uh, she compares it to something that I had forgotten about entirely was the uh, allegory of the cave from mm. Plato, which mm-hmm. I was like, I will freely admit, I had to go look back up. I'm like, oh yeah, I do. I did read about that once. Um, you know, people knowing for sure there's more out there that the the crew of the Enterprise is the Philosopher King and that maybe the Shepherds are more the people chained up in the cave only seeing the shadows, but that's their whole world. So they live that life fully and that's they dedicate themselves to that. So again, that was our friend Juline at It Goes Down in the PM in the It Goes Down in the PM podcast. Part of the Mom is Always Right, that's W-R-I-T-E, media network. And they have a few noteworthy shows, uh, new shows, Bite Sexual, Two Dope Girls, and a show called Roast. And we will post their link tree in the show notes. Thank you for your contribution, Juline. I think my favorite thing about this series so far is that where like a Next Generation, for example, again, my favorite series, um, where a Next Generation would have Picard go, here is the philosophical problem that we are faced with. And then state both sides of the argument and then say, I think it's clear which one is correct. (laughs) Um, This show is doing much more of a, okay, let's put that concept into everything that's happening. We'll have Pike make like some little remarks that humanize the entire arc and make it relatable. And then we'll just execute on the story beats, right? So they're just going through the philosophical exercise as opposed to talking about what do we think is the right thing to do here? Because they have to figure that out as they do it in this episode. So I really like that. And it actually, it follows really well with the the first episode in the series where they're like, what do we do? How do we figure out how to not violate General Order 1 while also saving Una? But, you know, so it's like a, it's just a faster paced 45 minutes than TNG, but it's all of the best ingredients in the same recipe, right? It just tastes different on the other side yeah the pace really surprised me because i mean it didn't feel long but it didn't feel like a short episode like it felt like we got a long involved episode with multiple layers yeah but we also had like a nice long cold open seeing them at dinner you know the slug club going on there even with the weasley inside (laughs) so maybe it wasn't the slug club uh but then we get all these like uh denouements at the end And, and it felt like TNG never had time for that. Like we right on green shirt. We always make a point where we're like, Oh look, they had a nice like moment at the end where they talk about the episode. Rarely does that actually happen. So I don't know how they fit all that into this episode. It's yeah. just, I think as Jesse was saying, the pace, they get the same kind of information out much quicker now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the music for a while. I do uh, wish that I guess there was a deleted uh, line where Spock, when Uhura starts singing and it all lights up where he goes, this is no comet. It's a karaoke club. I wish they had left that in, but maybe a little on the nose. <laughs> I did like there was the moment where, um, so I have a certain smart speaker in my house. And of course, as any Trekkie, I set it up for the wake word to be computer, which uh, always uh, causes some fun when I watch Star Trek, which is often. So Pike asked the computer, what's 
song is, you know, is the comet singing. Uh, apparently it was, you know, her as Kenyan uh, uh, classical, you know, hymn, song, whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, my smart speakers thought it was Calvin Harris. Oh. So there was that. <laughs> Just... um, actually, I don't have a lot to contribute as far as uh, the music itself is concerned. It's just, it was just a neat element that they added to me. I think uh, I, right now I'm thinking about the egg, but if I go all the way back, I thought it was brilliant that Ohura kind of introduces herself by humming her hymn. Like she's, I think she uses it as an anchor, like mm-hmm. when she's feeling unsure or insecure, because she already got hazed by uh, her, by the lieutenant going in uh, in dress uniform and, and nobody else is, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's trying to get along like uh, with the, I forgot the, the alien engineer that's blind, but he has extra sensors. Right. So he, he had a, she had an awkward encounter with him. And she's also nervous because she's at the captain's dinner. And uh, so I think that she uses music to kind of ease herself, to anchor herself. And and I like how that theme kind of plays throughout the episode. And like she does it again when she's with the egg inside the comet. She starts to do that. And that's when the comet responds to her. So them finding out that music is what the comet uses to communicate is actually just a result of a nervous tick that Ohura had. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. discovered it by accident, and the way they introduced it was absolutely brilliant. I did enjoy at the dinner when Pike was asking his his, uh, his question and his pre-traumatic stress disorder kicked in, and um, oh, you know, it it, nice. <laughs> it, it, nice, it was a good, nice. subtle little moment, and and wasn't you know they they're obviously hitting his story on the head very hard in this in this season, but that was just a nice quick little moment that we got to follow up with later with knowing the names of the kids and then the the final conversation between him and Una. I also really like that, to Zoe's point, Uhura is using music to anchor herself emotionally and make herself feel comfortable. I think that's a thing that everyone in the world mm-hmm. can associate with, and that's part of what makes her the audience stand in in this episode. Yeah, I mean, the music, I, I, I loved... I thought it was done very well, like the whole Ahura Spock discussion of music as a language. It didn't feel overly technoly techno babbly to me. I bought all of it. These were some of my issues I had with the third act. You know, there's a lot of moments Ahura's like, I don't know what, but I know the egg's important. Why is the egg important? Like it opened, but it feels like the comet could have talked to him without opening the egg. I don't know why the egg was important. Yeah. It's her being in a room that doesn't make any sense because it's on a comet and she's going, okay, I don't know what this all is, but the giant glowing orb in the center of the room probably is <laughs> It probably is, is all on this. Yeah. That's what she That was about <laughs> as obviously stated as when Spock shows them the video of the comet destroying the planet and then goes, based on this, there would be no survivors. <laughs> Thanks, Spock. We yeah. needed that <laughs> We saw it crack in half, dude. We're good. Like, we figured. Wow. But uh, and then the other thing was like, it just felt like obviously the music was a big deal. Like the whole pivot of the episode is Ahura realizing that she saved the day by discovering it speaks music, which it does save their lives. Like we said, she somehow just was able to tell it to drop the shields. But I thought it was going to be more important. I thought when Spock is like, what if we didn't touch it? Like they were going to use music. Like when he'd fly by, he was going to play music, you know, maybe not the Beastie Boys, but somehow music would come into play in the final solution. And I was a little disappointed when it didn't. Yeah, it was it was strange. Like, oh, we have a plan, but for some reason they're like, we're not going to tell the audience the plan. We're just going to show the plan 
in action, you know, a little bit of a heist movie type vibe there with the mm-hmm. end with the shepherds and Spock. But yeah, it's like, wait, you just established all this music stuff. And it's like, okay, we're going to use heat and ice sublimation too. We discovered we can talk to the comet and it listens to us, but instead we're just going to blast it with a heat gun and say that, oh, we didn't touch it. Like, come on, Pike. That was a pretty semantic, uh, heavy yeah, excuse that's, there. Yeah, yeah. Whatever works. The shepherds were pissed that you're going to give it a little nudge, but oh, cutting it in half will be fine. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that the Enterprise cut it in half. They, as far as they're concerned, from their perspective, the comic broke up by itself, right? So, but which I did, like, yeah. they were able to detect that there was three people standing on the comet. They can't detect the heat signature from the shuttle <laughs> blasting the comet in half. And they seem to understand that there's some sort of technological something going on with the comets, right? Like, the Shepherds can tell that there is technology, and they know that the comet has some sort of control... Uh, options at least mm-hmm. yeah they seem to have personified this comet which you mm-hmm. could argue makes it an artificially intelligent life form that mm-hmm. they yeah. were standing on and i don't know i i it didn't bump me until you said it but why was the solution not like more uh frequency vibrational based like yeah it, it it's didn't not have to touching be music it. yeah right <laughs> it couldn't have been it didn't yeah. have to be music but it could have been like shield harmonics or yeah. you know something like that but yeah I they think, already set that up earlier in the episode yeah and i think to your point though it had to be heat because that might be the only way it the sublimation in it is the lack of touching it was the only way they could do it without setting off some sort of detector on the shepherd ship maybe like oh you know because heat they just established shows up heat. there's like I kind of wanted to see more of these underground structures, right? Like I got a very the dig. Speaking of classic video game vibes from this uh, episode, which you know I don't know how great the dig is. I don't even know if I ever finished it. But like the feeling playing that game was sort of like the feeling of mist, just like discovering this ancient alien thing. It's a it's a, a nostalgic feeling I always chase, and often in Star Trek episodes, right? I love that strange new worlds aspect of Star Trek. But yeah, I wanted to see more of that, and they could have done something like that. Oh, we're going to talk to this comet, and down below there's engines that will turn on that will break off a piece of ice. I, I, yeah, not it's not a deal breaker, obviously, but it was a little thing I bumped on. And regarding that that final solution, whatever the the solution was to the comet. I think that they kind of threw some elements in there early on, like the har- the shield harmonics and the music and notes to communicate. I, I was also surprised that that wasn't going to be uh, involved in the final solution. But I think that the only reason that they needed to bring the shields down was to get Sam off of the comet and, and mm-hmm. really get all well, of them all off of the comet because Sam was dying. Like, it's like we totally <laughs> yeah. forgot about Sam. Dude. Like even when I was watching the episode, I was like, why are they going back? Oh yeah, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam needs, Sam is about to die before. We gotta save that mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got, we gotta, we gotta save Sam. So they all beamed off and it's like, they, they really couldn't go back on. So they really needed another solution. So I don't think they wanted to telegraph the solution in the writing of the show. They didn't want to telegraph what they were going to do. And so that's like they did the heist thing where they didn't reveal what the plan was as as they might have done in the TNG era. All right. Let's hear from our next multiple guests, one uh, broadcast on stage. What are we going to re- talk about? What if we <clears throat> run out of things to say in these 90 seconds? No, no, no. They only gave us 90 seconds. Okay. So open, no dilly open, open Pike Mike. This open is the Pike, It's Got Mike. Star Trek podcast. This is Dan, Patrick, and Jesse from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. Uh... uh, uh Sending our comments into the open pike night. <laughs> on, on, uh, on, we've only got 90 seconds. It was very colorful. 
Or are you talking about the episode? Yeah, yes, yeah, that's episode what we're talking about. Yeah, 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 They're yeah, colorful. Yeah. Children of the common. And what'd you call Pike, Captain Pike? What'd I you... called him uh, uh, Space Daddy. Space yeah, Daddy. Space Daddy, yeah. yeah space What's Daddy. up with that hair? This episode's all about wanting to, to make Space Daddy happy. Yeah, make Space Daddy happy. And Space Daddy's making me happy, so, you know. Yeah. And uh, I like uh, I like Ohura's Ohura's totally rad. Yes, um, uh, music is cool. That's communication. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, what else? Quick, we've only got fucking ninety seconds. We got less than that. We got how like many? A, how many? How much time we have? I don't left? know. I didn't put on a fucking timer. Oh no! How do we know when we? Oh uh, my god! It was it's great. So loud. The episode was really good. It was so entertaining. Vulcans so, Vulcans theorize. It is their fundamental nature of music which makes them pleasing to... Wait, and I did that totally wrong. Shit, I've messed up our numbers. We have seconds. so much less time now. Oh, God. Oh, God. Musical notes are easily derived from math. Vulcans theorize it is their fundamental nature which makes them pleasing to the ear. All right, that was it. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, we will be having a note with the bartenders here at the Open Pike Night stage that the two drink tickets are given after their time on stage. That was Dan, Patrick, and Jesse calling in from the It's Got Star Trek podcast at It's Got Star Trek on Twitter. I was more on the edge of my seat for that than I was for this episode. And I mean, I, this episode dealt with stakes well. So That was the most on-brand message that we have received from another podcast, I think. if yeah. I think I can confidently state that. I do... I have to say, if you haven't, go listen to It's Got Star Trek. It is one of my favorite Star Trek podcasts. You know that I'm a big fan of all things Star Trek, so definitely go check those guys out. I Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that's like a really good capturing of how it feels to watch Strange New Worlds. Like, <laughs> I am just overwhelmed with enjoyment and looking at the shiny things and give me the colors. I mean, that really actually does capture about how I feel about the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like the uh, Pike is Space Daddy. It's like, of course, obviously Pike is Space Daddy. He's going to be for this this whole thing. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, he had his moment with Uhura at the beginning of this episode, but he wasn't. It's not always going to be him inspiring the crew. And that's actually going to be a nice aspect. It's like, oh, he's not always the one giving the inspirational speech because He's really in not a great place right now, so <laughs> it's good to see other crew members stepping up. Sometimes he needs the pep talk. Yeah. Now, I do have to say, I did notice that the It's Got Star Trek crew took the time to communicate partially through musical notes, so we appreciate <laughs> you yes. sticking to the theme of the episode. That was very well done, and I have to say thank you again for that. All right, let's hear from our final guest on stage tonight. I have literally so many thoughts about Strange New Worlds. So I guess that what I'll stick with for the duration of this is just how utterly beautiful the episode Children of the Comet is. That we get to see Spock and Ahura have that little musical moment, it just, it warms my heart so much. Like, that was one of my favorite moments in TOS, whenever we get to see them play together, sing together, those kinds of things. And we get denied that, sort of, in uh, the Kelvin Timeline movies. So that they brought that back for this, really, like, that just tops everything for me. And then to be able to see Ohora in her, like, true element, when she doesn't even fully know yet that that's her element, it's just amazing. I'm utterly in love. I also low-key hope that we get to see more of the Shepherds in the future. I don't know if we will, but that would, that'd be, that'd be really interesting. I'd, I'd kind of like to see that. So... Yeah. That was our friend Brandy. 
at Trekking Wonders on Twitter and another another guest on stage who got to go see the world premiere. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's great stuff. I guess I was just surprised by how much those scenes affected me. I, I got chills, especially that first scene between them. And I mean, yeah, I just I didn't know that like seeing the the prequel aspect of these relationships I grew up with would work so well. And I think they handled them really well. Like I had some complaints that episode one was a little on the nose and I didn't really have any of those complaints with this episode. I think they let like the audience figure all that out. Like the scene with Spock and her, uh, you know, talking about her future and everything. Like I brought to it, like I know these two, their fates are intertwined. They're going to save each other's lives multiple times throughout the future. But right now, they don't know that. Spock is almost trying to convince her to leave Starfleet if she doesn't feel she belongs there. And yeah, that just that's when prequels are done right. Just when it, it lets what the audience knows fill in the emotional like electricity of the scene. Uh, and I feel like that's what those scenes did really well for me. I'd also like to say that seeing the crew at ease and in situations that are not life and death is imperative to these shows is so important and like you can't have the scene later where spock is being like is this your first life or death situation without seeing them like have little social faux pas at dinner so thank you for that and then yes uh i also love the shepherds i haven't really said that i love their design i love the little breathing sacks on their head great stuff i did wonder is that dinner scene sort of poking fun at tng DS9 and Voyager and maybe even Enterprise for rarely having, you know, all the whenever the characters were gathered together, they play poker in their uniforms on TNG. <laughs> like anytime mm-hmm. they're gathered together, <laughs> like was this uh, a little bit of a poking fun at like, hey, guess what? They do have other clothes. It may surprise you guys to know that the Star Trek fandom is nitpicky and arguing about this. Wait, what? Um, what? I really? know, I know, I know. Breathe. Yes, on one hand, the word is uniform, and that means a thing. Like, that word has a definition, right? And it is that you all look the same. You're all wearing the same outfit. There is one form that you all wear. It is a uniform, right? Now, more realistically, in any workplace, even the military, or some cool version of the military... There are more than one kind of uniform for more than one kind of job and for more than one kind of division and for more than one kind of person. People would have personal preferences. There would be all kinds of things. This is the first time that we get to see multiple active duty uniforms happening at the same time, like probably on purpose. It used to probably usually be a screw up. And it makes it feel more realistic because people just wear different clothes. And then when we see people in their civilian outfits... They look like clothes that people would actually wear, not like the clothes they put people in in TNG, where it was like, <laughs> they would go for comfort in the future, not whatever that is. Leftover Logan's <laughs> Run uniforms, costumes. Yeah, like, Chapel's outfit, first of all, nah. and second of all, like, she looks so comfortable at that, at the cookout in the captain's quarters. Like, that's how they would do it in the future. They're going toward comfort, not away from it. Well, the only thing that was truly uncomfortable in TNG were the uniforms. Like every especially <laughs> the first season. Like everything else was was kind of like dresses. Like even the dress uniform in TNG originally was kind of a dress, right? Mm-hmm. So uh they had uh and you're right, they the officers on in TNG or I think in pretty much any episode of the original series, they rarely wore like off duty clothes. The only time they wore regular clothes was 
when they were on a mission. So in so that's not even you really couldn't even call that regular clothes. Like they're chilling in the lounge in their uniform, like Jesse said. So uh, the only instance I can remember, I know there are a couple, but the one that I there's a uh, when Picard goes on Risa. There's that, and then there's that time when uh, you had Captain Jellicoe. He takes over the Enterprise, and uh, and Riker is is. What oh it, yeah, that's right. Is, yeah, yeah. What you yeah. call it? We, we won't get into too much detail, but yeah. Oh, great. He, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's and he's Riker's got his civvies on. Yeah, Riker's wearing kind of a dress. So they they went for maximum comfort when they were off duty, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but then on the on the flip side, you had you seen shots of Jordy sleeping in his uniform, like in bed, just on side yeah. sleeping, fully in uniform. Like, really? <laughs> Jordy, like <laughs> I think I think Jordy worked like 18 hours a day and he was just taking a break in his 18 hour that day. That is to catch absolutely a quick nap the, yeah. Because... Yeah. That's a great explanation. <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy. Because because most other people they had their uh their purple undershirts, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, and um yeah, you're right. Did you, you really get to see them uh wear um dressed down? For this episode. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing was, I, I remember back to to your point, Jesse, about the services having different uniforms, even if they're in the same outfit. The, you really get to see that in the Star Trek original series motion pictures. So you had the engineering staff and they all had their engineering uniforms. You had the uh, non-commissioned officers. They're clearly wearing a different uniform than the officers. They, they, they all they really went in on people on this huge ship. The different departments or different sections having different uniforms. That and I like that about Chapel's uniform in particular. Like she's, it, it's not quite as formal because she's a civilian, right? So it's like pretty clearly some kind of a jumpsuit. They're not afraid to show us a zipper in this instance of Star Trek, which <laughs> yeah. I think is great. <laughs> I did. I really enjoyed going to the uh, back to Dan Patrick and Jesse, the Daddy Pike. His laugh when he sees Uhura in dress uniform and totally understanding why she's in dress uniform. I'm like, okay, yep, yep. That is, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it was good to see that. Oh yeah, he can he can appreciate. Like oh yeah, I was there. I remember that. <laughs> it was the mm-hmm. kind of warm. Um, relatable laugh where it's like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm laughing at you, but I'm <laughs> laughing at you because I identify with how that yep. feels. Like yep. it's also the great kind of world building without exposition. Like, yeah, that laugh, as John said, it tells you so much about. Oh, this is a thing that's happened for since Pike was a cadet. Yep. Uh, yeah, it just kind of fills you in on the the atmosphere of Starfleet in in ways that you don't get a lot in Star Trek. Um, speaking of laugh, I so let me say. Spock continues to impress me. I am enjoying Ethan Peck's performance as Spock more and more, and I am so glad like my pre-show fears were allayed. I, I love it, what they're doing with him. I don't know if the laugh gag at the end was earned. I, that was like one bit of writing where I was like, that felt a little forced. If we had seen what he's talking about, how exactly. something goes badly, because it's like, well, but what went badly? You succeeded in your mission. Like, and survived. Yeah, if we had seen him like... You know, the camera just spinning around and around. He's like, whoa, after he was doing that. Like, yeah, OK, then then that would have been something to give us. Yeah. It's like, OK, you got bumped around a little bit, but so did the Enterprise. So did the sort of the uh, shepherds flying through the ice, the ice trail of the comet, yeah. which was a beautiful effect. Just seeing so the little chunks bouncing off like. But yeah, we I, I I noticed that, too. Like, what's what went wrong? I think it actually illustrates that Spock was afraid at that moment. But, you know, it's. 
Spock is not going, you're not going to get a lot of emotion in Spock. So had, had that been a human pilot in a shuttlecraft, you would have got all the uh, emotion on his face about how harrowing the experience was, but you don't get that from Spock. It was only after like the whole experience is over that he's able to convey this in the form of what he figured was a joke. And it kind of reminded me of Data when Data gave that fake <laughs> laugh. And it's like, is that how you're supposed to do it? Is that how you're supposed to laugh? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe it was just Spock intentionally trying to relate. Yeah, yes. it was him going, here's when a human would do this thing. I will <laughs> yeah. force it out. So am I doing it right? right. So it may okay. have been okay, maybe it may have been in universe forced. Like yeah, okay. I, I that's how I read it, Zoe. I appreciate that you brought that up. Okay, final nitpicky bump. And I don't know how nitpicky this is. Because they explicitly say, La'an, the tactical officer, says, we are outgunned, we are outnumbered, we need to disengage. This is a losing fight. As a, uh, This is a Torah, Torah, Torah situation. And then one phaser blast, the, the, <laughs> the shepherds have no shields, one phaser blast, and they have to withdraw to regroup. I feel like the Enterprise was like... Moments away from uh, from battle victory right there if they wanted. So first, I got to say, how great are the continuous phasers? They are red, which is, you know, another thing that's being nitpicked. Shouldn't they be yellow? But I love the continuous phasers. They seem like a cutting beam to me, how they should. Yeah, a little um, bit of a fiber laser. Yeah, like I, I liked that. But the next thing that La'an says, Cameron, is they're pulling off to regroup. I'd say we have about a minute. Well, yeah, so but a minute to shoot. Like again, they were purposefully not trying to damage them. They were just trying to right. take out their. Now, now I, why, I just say, don't know why they didn't have shields. So I would, say, and I don't know. I mean, they shot. I think they shot at the shields. I I don't know. To answer your question, I thought for a minute that Laan was like trying to do something sneaky. Like we need to. You always not think attack trying to do something sneaky. She Jesse. is doing something sneaky. <laughs> she adopted prey posture way too easily. I don't trust her. <laughs> but. It seems like Una verified Laon's assessment. So it's a fair question because Laon was like, well, we don't want to, or actually it was Ortega's assessment. Ortega's goes, we don't want to piss them off. And Una was like, that's true. We don't. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it it's a fair thing, but I would also say like, you're watching TNG now. So, you know, sometimes things, the answer is because the writers needed that that's to happen. That's why it's, yeah, nitpicky. <laughs> I, no, no. I, yeah, we could have did it another way. They, I mean, I was the same way. I was like, oh, I, they have no shields. They they have no chance. It's like, how did, how do they, how, how is this a threat if they don't have shields? And I, I know they got lots of weapons, but without shields, it's only going to take a couple of photon torpedoes to take them well, out. There is right? something to be said for the scale of the shepherd's ship. Like, it is huge. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, there yeah. is, yeah. it's possible that they were like, hey, Hey, ow, okay, readjust shields, let's go kill them now. Like, <laughs> right, right. That's that's true. And and I don't fault you on that. But you know, you got you got engines, you got shielding that can be targeted. It's yeah. But see that yeah, I, I was I'm just saying that I was surprised that it didn't have shields. That's all. I and uh I feel I that agree. if they wanted to write in in such a way that the shepherd had to back off the enterprise, then they could have just damaged their shields to the point where, you know, they couldn't uh this the shields couldn't sustain any more damage. It could have been the something like that. The Enterprise uses their tractor beam to like throw some ice chunks at yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their <laughs> like, but they definitely made the right tactical choice. It's like these guys are protecting Mahanit. Get between them yeah. and Mahanit. Like, yeah, I know, like that. Yeah, you know, sure. which you know, obviously, if you look at you know a parent, you know, a mama bear, a mama moose, like, well, that could be a really bad decision, or it could be the right decision, and they got lucky that it was the right decision this time. Yeah. Kind of going back to Ahura's fate, there was a lot of cute moments where she was watching whoever the uh, the comms person was. I, they named her once, I forget. This was Ensign Christina? 
Yes. There's uh, shots of Uhura watching her do her job that I thought were kind of just intentionally in the background. That was really nice. I like. And then I just want to point out that uh, when Spock has to diffuse his tension, he likes to apply vigorous logic. There is also that out there. There's also an instance of uh, Uhura doing Ensign Christina's job for her. Where she goes, hey, I think we're being hailed. And she goes, oh, yes, we're being hailed. Like, oh, nice. I yeah, so I, I really liked that moment. Showing the natural inclination for Uhura, not only toward languages, but maybe toward that particular console. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, final thought. Um, it The only thing that's a little sad for me is that we know that Uhura would spend her entire career on that ship, right? Maybe with very mm. little variation in her career, which is not something that most people would do (laughs) (laughs) we did get confirmation in season two of picard that uhura eventually becomes captain of the uss leon dragons and uh has she was maybe the first command that ensign jean-luc picard ever served under they decided to finally do something with uhura now that she is no longer on screen (laughs) (laughs) okay so I have decided as showrunner that we are going to start ranking these episodes, but this isn't going to be just rank giving it a number rank. This is going to be ranking the episodes against each other. So, Zoe, was episode two better or worse than episode one? How would you rank these two episodes for yourself? Oh, that's that's a hard question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't. Just because, just because uh, this episode was an horror episode opened up with a horror's log incident horror opening the log instead of the traditional opening the episode with the captain's log and just because uh the actor forgive me i don't remember her name but the actor that played a horror did such a fantastic job of displaying all the emotion of uncertainty and worry and and uh elation and, and all of those things i think i gotta give this episode a, a notch over the premiere episode all right jesse Oh, that again it's it is mm-hmm. difficult but i don't like how do you capture the fun of watching a first episode of a new star trek series again right like mm-hmm. like as far as an episode of tv i think this one is a better episode of tv like structurally and with all the pieces in it and it is making me want to watch more of this tv which again the last episode did as well but it's like i i am very excited for what is to come and I think I would have to, I think I'm just going to give you my blanket ranking for every episode that we watch going forward, which is that as episodes come out, that's my favorite episode. So, <laughs> yeah. and at the end of the season, I'm going to hold you to the fire. Apply, you, yeah, seriously. Yeah. No, I'm, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Apply that going forward. And then at the end of the season, make me put them in order because right now I'm not going to be able to do it for emotional reasons. I'm just <laughs> too excited. And I hope you're right. <laughs> and Cam? Yeah, I mean, kind of echoing Jesse, I do think this is probably the better written episode, but I think going forward, I'll probably revisit the first one a a little bit more just because, again, there's more variety going on. It was our introduction. You know, it was us discovering uh, what this show would be. And and it, like the first one had, I there were some genuine laugh out loud moments from me in the first one that I loved, and uh, and my wife was disappointed that Spock wasn't shirtless in this one, so that, you know, that <laughs> might factor in as well. I'll, so I'll go episode one. There are a couple things about this episode that will I'm going to rank it higher than episode one. Partly, it's not the first episode and doesn't have to do the heavy lifting I talked about last time. Um, I think it was a very you know 
superbly written episode and we haven't talked about it yet but the final scene after the conversation between um una and pike when he calls up the records of who he knows to be important in his future i love episode endings like that there i don't know if anybody watched back in the day the uh um the show Jericho, but there's one episode that has an ending like that, where it just is like very, very subtle, but just silently driving home how big, what happened was like, you finally start to understand the scope of what went down as they're establishing the world of this show, like just pulling up and like pulling up pictures of these actual kids at this point in, in the timeline. That's like, Ooh, that, I don't know. Are you trying to make this decision harder for yourself, Pike? Or what are you trying to do? Are you, are you, like, well, yeah, I love that moment because at first I was like, oh, he took her advice. He's looking them up to see like how he can, you know, change the, the course of history. Yeah. And then as that scene went on, I was like, oh, no, he's recommitting to his yeah, choice. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's whipping the back. He's whipping himself yeah, with the rope on the yeah. back. I do love that kind of ending. Uh, just very emotionally impactful ending to an episode. So, yeah, this is definitely a better episode for me than episode one. Thank you for joining us for another Open Pike Night. Jesse, now that we're 20% of the way through Season 1 of Strange New Worlds and Open Pike Night, how can our listeners get on stage and share their thoughts, feelings, or jokes about Strange New Worlds? Well, of course, the easiest way to do that is to just record yourself for 90 or fewer seconds. I'm still not sure what the correct word is for that, and I'll figure it out because I'm the show's pedant. But... The easiest way to do it is record your own voice and then email that voice clip to openpike at gmail.com. We want to share your voice with your own words because I really think that that's part of what makes Trek so enjoyable is the community that exists around it. So go ahead and do that. If you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can follow me. I run the Twitter for the show at openpike. And at the top of that page, as John mentioned earlier, there is a button that says subscribe or start reading. I'm not sure which one. But if you click on that, you will automatically be signed up to get a weekly reminder in your email. They go out at about 2 a.m. on Friday morning, I think, after the episode airs. I don't put spoilers in them, but I do say, hey, now that you've watched the episode, send us your thoughts. And there is a sneak peek at who the next week's guest will be in that email. So those of you that have received it, you already knew that we would be talking to Zoe of Backlook Cinema this week because you read it in your newsletter. Remember, go check your spam folder or your junk folder because I assure you our newsletter is neither. Now, after all of that, if you're still feeling generous, sure. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. But of course, just like Mr. Spock, your ears for us are enough. And if you've noticed, uh, if you've been listening, you may have, that uh, both of our guests so far began as audio contributors. So if you would like to appear on the show, be sure to send us a clip and let us know that is your your fate that you are headed towards. I will say this. If you are just a podcast listener, you do not have to be a podcaster. We want to hear from the track community. Yes. If you're a podcaster, obviously you have access to audio recording equipment a little easier than somebody who doesn't. But if you have a smartphone, it'll record an audio clip just as well. We want to hear from as many people as possible. I would love to have to start curating clips and choosing, you know, who gets to make it on stage or not. And maybe sometimes I got to cut our regulars because we have new people. But And to that point, John... Anybody who is signed up for our weekly newsletter will also receive priority in weeks where we have too many clips to share. 
Yes. So we want you to be aware that there is more than one way to get on stage. But yes, John has an excellent point. We don't, we're not just here to promote other podcasters. That is something we believe in as podcasters. But if you just want to have your voice heard, we want to be your stage. Speaking of being a stage, Zoe, how can people find more of you online? You can follow us on social media at Backlick Cinema on Twitter at Backlick Cinema Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can also visit us on our website at backlickcinema.com. And uh, I have a shop there. I've got some new designs for our merchandise and T-shirts and hats and sweatshirts and stuff. Uh, But most importantly, my podcast, the Backlick Cinema Podcast, you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts where I talk about the movies of yesteryears from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, me and Zach, who is my son, my clone, if you will. We sit down, we watch movies that I love when I was growing up, and we I, and I share our thoughts about those movies on the podcast. And you just completed talking about uh, Star Trek Two, Star Trek Three, and Star Trek Four. So there is some great Trek content for you to go back and listen to. Yes, and if you want to, I'm also going to talk some more about Trek. I have a, a future appearance on. A new podcast called Part My Fandom is hosted by Rocky, and he examines people's fandoms, and I get to talk to him about my fandom of Star Trek. So that's going to come out in a couple of weeks. I hope everybody tunes in for that one. Excellent. Nice. Cameron, where can people find more of you? I am a Star Trek green shirt, at least when it comes to the next generation. Uh, We are in season five now, but come join the ride. It's a lot of fun. More fun than a malfunctioning holodeck. You can find our podcast probably wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, At Greenshirt87, we'll find us on Twitter. Greenshirt Podcast on Facebook. Greenshirt Podcast on Instagram. Instagram. Yep. And that's where you'll find us. And Jesse, where can people find more of you? I would just first like to say thank you, Zoe, for being here with us. And I hope you mm-hmm. feel compelled and a little bit obligated to send us a clip every <laughs> single week as you're watching through Star Trek Strange New Worlds, because we want to know what you think as well, because, man, I've had a lot of fun. So thank you for being here with us. Second of all, if for whatever reason you need me more in your ears, go to the podcast app that you are listening to right now pull up the search feature type in sudden but inevitable we will pop up sudden but inevitable of course is the single season television rewatch podcast where i bring my friends through the most essential shows that i think they need to see and it's all about whether or not they enjoy that process so you can follow that show on twitter at sudden but you can follow that show on instagram at sudden but inevitable podcast or you can watch it every friday night live at youtube.com slash twist my arm podcast at 8 30 p.m mountain time and to find more of me i am at john t bolds on twitter and i am producer john on green shirt a newbie's trek to the next generation with cameron well it's time for us to close up the club for the night please change your trajectory out the exit door and be sure to tip your servers you can go anywhere you want but you can't stay here and don't take the yahtzee dice with you leave them here for the next patrons today we have been quite simply the only people for this job (laughs) 